Good evening, everybody. Welcome inside the Nittany Lions Sports Report. It's live here on Bob Long Sports. Each and every week, Bob Long, Tyler Gelhouse alongside. Well, folks, it is the game of the year, the one that we've been looking forward to all season long. If you're a Penn State Nittany Lion fan, there is one way to get into the playoff. That's to win out. And in this particular weekend, it involves beating number two, Ohio State. The Buckeyes have been perfect. They have been blowing teams out. And that is just the next team on the schedule. 1-0 mentality for James Franklin and the Penn State Nittany Lions, as it is every week. But it feels just a little bit different. Tyler, we wanted to talk a little bit about Indiana. Put that one to bed and get forward to Ohio State. I'll open it up with you. I think some of the issues that we're seeing uh, right now with Penn State is especially on pass defense. Um, you know, we saw it earlier in the year a little bit, the Buffalo, uh, Pitt, um, and, and then again we saw it um, a little bit against Michigan, not much, but then we saw it again against um, Minnesota in the loss, and it continued the next week into, uh, into the Indiana game, and it's a reoccurring theme. Um, at the beginning of the year, we both believed that this was an elite defense. Um, I, I even made the statement that I think this defense is good enough to keep them in every single game. I'm not so sure that's the case anymore, especially after seeing the passing defense the last couple games. Um, I'm not sure if the defense is good enough to keep them in the game this week against Ohio State. Um, just a little concerning. I mean, Indiana was using their backup quarterback, Ramsey, who has played a lot this year. Uh, it's important to mention, but I mean they threw all over Penn State. There seemed to be some confusion on on blitzes again that we saw this week with you know multiple safeties going and and a guy wide open for a touchdown for the first touchdown for Indiana. And to be honest with you, Indiana made some mistakes, especially on special teams, which I thought really made the game um, you know Penn State's game um, to win, uh, specifically with the the muff punt um, by uh, their kick punt returner that turned into a touchdown for Penn State or at least points, and then the fake punt, unsuccessful fake punt for Indiana. I mean, um, outside of that, yeah, they got a field goal late to make it a seven-point game to go for the onside kick. Um, but Indiana, in my opinion, you know, gave Penn State some points, and um, really it's a 10-point game even though the scoreboard says seven, but it almost felt closer than that at times. It was absolutely closer than that, and it was a game that Indiana absolutely could have won. Penn State took over in that final drive of regulation offensively, moving it down the field and an unbelievable 18-play drive, nine minutes off the clock, their best sustained drive of the entire year. Could not have come at a better time. I'm going to give Indiana some credit before we move on to Ohio State. That's a 7-2 and two team coming into Beaver Stadium, playing well. Peyton Ramsey, yes, a backup, but he's been essentially the quintessential backup during his time with Indiana, took over for even the predecessor to Michael Penix, and then now Michael Penix is out. Peyton Ramsey, a guy that they lose no confidence with. They still throw it more than any team in the country from a percentage basis. And Penn State hopefully learned a lot from the defensive back and the secondary standpoint about facing a team that call Indiana what you want, but they can throw it down the field pretty effectively. I think they do bounce back. I don't know if that means they beat Ohio State, but what I think they will do is learn, improve, and play better in the secondary on a relative basis than what we saw against Indiana. Yeah, I'm not, I, I like to think that it's going to get better because I'm not sure if it can get any worse, uh, what we've seen. And the concerning part to me is the last two games, 
Um, while both teams do have weapons, specifically at the wide receivers uh, positions, it's not like the quarterbacks are, are all that, uh, you know, all Big Ten, Heisman contenders like we're going to see on Saturday in Justin Fields with Ohio State. Um, so it's just hopefully they can get it figured out. They've had two weeks, um, you know, and, and it should all be hopefully corrected by now, but you're going up against uh, arguably the best team in the country so with a dynamic offense. So it should be interesting to see how they um, – how they match up and how they prepare for the battle on Saturday. Well, and to go to the national championship, to go to the college football playoff, you need to play the best teams in the country. And this is really that litmus test for Penn State. There's no doubt about it. We're going to talk to David Kender from WHIZ in Zanesville and WKYC in Cleveland, Ohio. He's been covering the team for a long time. We had him two years ago on before the Last game that Penn State played in Columbus, he was a great guest then. He's going to be a great guest now. He'll be on in about five minutes, so stay tuned for that. We're also going to have Jordan Feld from City Year Philadelphia as our guest picker for the evening, chasing down Rob Kelly and Mar Long at 6-0. and The standoff will be next weekend, Tuesday night, so that's going to be big. The regular season finale of our show here and the pick'em finale for our guest pickers. So Jordan has his work cut out for him. Uh, but I'm excited to hear his story about City Year Philadelphia. He's on the associate board, as I am as well, and he does some great work. He was the board chair for two years. Make that three, I think, even. So we're going to learn a lot about the background of all the great things City Year Philadelphia is doing for education in Philadelphia. But, Tyler, before we get to David Kender, our next guest, talking about the Buckeyes, what do you take away from the Buckeyes, from what you've seen thus far. They just came out. College football playoff rankings are out number two. Penn State, number eight, jumping Minnesota and staying above Oklahoma. I mean, what I make of the Buckeyes is they are by far the number one. They are in the top three easily right now. I think you can put, I think everybody can put Clemson, LSU, and Ohio State in pretty much almost any order the way they're all playing at this point in time and kind of mix them and they could fall out in either direction. I mean, um, Right now, they are they have looked very good the whole season. Uh, they've looked pretty much untouchable the whole season. Um, their their last two games are on paper the two toughest games on their schedule. Um, a lot of people assume the drop off this year a little bit. Uh, new quarterback taking over Justin Fields, who Penn State fans are very familiar with. Um, new head coach Ryan Day taking over for Urban Meyer. To be honest with you, this team looks this Ohio State team looks better than last year's team. Um, maybe the, one of the better teams in recent memory, um, just the way they've steamrolled teams. They always have the talent. That's never a doubt. But uh, there's just something about this team. Uh, they can run it. They can throw it. They're playing good defense. Um, not that many flaws in their game. I mean, for Penn State to even keep it close, I think they're going to have to play a near-perfect game. They're going to have to obviously win a turnover battle. They're going to have to score touchdowns inside the red zone and not rely on field goals. Uh, you're going to have to score touchdowns to win this kind of game, something that Penn State has struggled with recently in the red zone. Um, you know, people like to blame Ricky Ronnie. Um, overall, his play calling actually I don't think is terrible. I think it's more the red zone is just a little questionable when he gets down into the 20. And you're talking more so the last two weeks. Last because two weeks. Prior to um, that, and he, it was, Well, even before that a little bit. Um, a little, even a little before that when you go back to Kinnick at Iowa. Um, they struggled a little bit there in the red zone. Granted, the one play should have been a touchdown. The other one when um, – Clifford ran and came back for holding, so they were kind of shooting themselves in the right. foot a little bit there, out of his control a little bit. But 
Um, yeah, just a, a little bit. They've been struggling in the red zone as of late. Need yep. to make it touchdowns. Can't rely on field goals if you want to keep it close this weekend. Justin Fields, the starting quarterback for the Ohio State Buckeyes. Penn State fans don't need to, don't want to hear much about him. Uh, they know him quite well. Was previously committed to James Franklin and the Penn State Nittany Lion coaching staff. And he actually mentioned in his press conference that it was some of the turnover related to potential. So potential turnover related to Joe Moorhead. He ended up being correct. Moorhead goes down to Mississippi State and takes the job. And he didn't really know what was next for the Penn State offense. Kirby Smart in his ear ends up committing to Georgia. That story well documented in that he lost out on the starting job to Jake Fromm, transfers to Ohio State, does receive a waiver to the chagrin of some around college football. Here he is playing year number one in his time in Columbus and leading the Buckeyes to a number two ranking and quite possibly the most impressive team in college football thus far this year. Uh, Yeah, interesting on fields. Um, He is a Georgia kid, so the recruiting story, Penn State and Franklin and the staff, um, you know, re- they, they offered him, they were on him early. At the time, he was only a three-star. He didn't blow up to the number one or two recruit in the country with Trevor Lawrence at that time. Um, you know, Penn State got a commitment from him rather early. Um, and in the, in the South, the SEC schools uh, were really on him. Auburn, Georgia, uh, Florida, Florida State, ACC, um, that whole area, LSU, they were really on him. Um, and, and there's a lot of pressure when you start to blow up like that and you're from that area. Um, like you said, ultimately went to Georgia, didn't work out there, um, transferred, granted a waiver. Um, now he's quarterback at Ohio State. And it kind of it kind of stings um, in a sense because you see the success that he's having there and you wonder, okay, if he's a quarterback at Penn State right now, how good is Penn State? Obviously he is better than Sean Clifford. Sean Clifford is having a very good um, – Rookie season, you can call it as a redshirt sophomore, first-year starter, having a very good above-average season um, for a first-year starter in college football, especially in the Big Ten. But Fields is in another category. I mean, no shot at Clifford. Um, it just, it's, it's the uh, proof is in the pudding, if you will. And we're going to learn about Justin Fields, J.K. Dobbins, and the rest of the Ohio State Buckeyes, led by Ryan Day, as we bring on David Kender of WHIZ in Zanesville. WKYC in Cleveland. He does it all. He covers this Buckeye program really well, and he is our distinguished guest here on the Nittany Lions Sports Report. David, how are you? Hey, guys. How's it going? I'm, I'm doing great to talk with you. You know, after the way the games went the last two seasons, one-point wins for the guys in Scarlet and Gray, I didn't know if you want to talk to me ever again, but, you know, I'm, I'm glad to be here with you. <laughs> well, we're happy to have you, David. You did a great job on the show last time and and all his love and uh in in this sport i tell you what college football what's so great about is you can bash heads in for three and a half hours maybe that's not the beautiful part i wish these games were three hours that's for another time but three and a half hours and uh, shake hands after it's all said and done absolutely let me just say i I went to the game last year with my first time ever going to beaver stadium and I had heard horror stories about how visiting fans got treated there. And it was not the case for me at all. I had a great time. Everyone there uh, was super nice. And it was an unbelievable atmosphere, unbelievable game. Uh, and none of the rumors I heard about mean old Penn State fans were true at all. No one could have been nicer. It was, it was an unbelievable. <laughs> well, I am certainly glad to hear that. So this time, Penn State travels out to Columbus 
Break down that atmosphere a little bit. If there are folks listening here that are about to get on a flight and head out to Columbus for the first time, what's a game at the shoe like? Well, obviously I'm a little biased, but it's my favorite stadium in the entire country. You know, uh, it's old, it's historic, but it still has some of the newer touches to it. It doesn't feel like it's crumbling. Uh, it's humongous. It's loud. It's intimidating. It's a lot of fun, and it's going to be filled with fans who are hungry to see maybe an exciting game for once this year because they've seen a whole lot of duds uh, this season, a whole lot of games that we thought were going to be exciting and turned out to not be the case. So not saying Buckeye fans want to see a close game, but they've been kind of sitting. You know, he's too pumped about with uh, close games because there's been a lot of blowouts and a lot of games where the stadium's empty heading into the fourth quarter. So maybe a chance to actually put a ruckus environment for once this season. Hey, David, this is Tyler. Uh, quick question in regards to that. You're talking about putting together um, maybe a closer game for the fans. Um, something that caught a lot of people's attention uh, here at least, I'm sure probably in Columbus too, is J.K. Dobbins' comments after the game against Rutgers. Um, I believe the question along the lines was, "What do you, you know, are you ready to play uh, like a four-quarter game or something like that, a full game? Because he hasn't really played a full, a full game this right. year. And he said, well, why does it have to be four quarters? Um, you know. <laughs> They've been Ohio State's been steamrolling everybody. Um, if the game comes down to the fourth quarter, like the last three games have, um, obviously um, it looks like it might be a little different this year, based uh, upon Vegas and what we've seen in the recent weeks. But one thing's for certain: the last three games have lived up to the hype. Um, all all decided by three points or less in one direction or the other. So if this game does go the distance, um, you know Penn State appears. Uh, based on their schedule, have had a lot more closer games and have been tested more than Ohio State has. In the case that it comes down to, you know, one possession game either way in the fourth quarter, how do you see it playing out for Ohio State? Well, yeah, that, that's a fair point. I mean, if it does come down to a final drive or something like that, Penn State has that experience. They've done that this season, whereas Ohio State really hasn't. And when I saw the lines come out on Monday, and I saw, I think it started at 18 and now it's gone up, to 19, I was stunned. I couldn't believe it was that high. I really don't see it being that kind of game. I see it being a, a much closer game. And it's going to be interesting to see how everyone on Ohio State handles it, but mainly for me, Justin Fields, who's looked unbelievable this year. But you think about it, through 10 games, guys, there has not been a single drive he has done in the second half where the game is really in jeopardy. You look at the Wisconsin game, Wisconsin blocked a punt, and they got it to three points in the third quarter, but then Ohio State immediately put the foot to the pedal, and they took off, and they ended up winning uh, by over three touchdowns. The closest game they played all season long really was that Michigan State game, and they still won that one by 24 points. So they have not been in a situation, and Justin Fields, as impressive as he's been, and now it's a good thing he hasn't been in this situation, but still you have to question marks, and you wonder – what is he going to be like when he has to lead his team on a game-winning drive? Because it hasn't been even close to having doing that all season long. Most of the time, he's out of there by the fourth quarter because they're up so big. So he hasn't been in a situation at all where he's had to do that this season. And no one on Ohio State has. But him in particular, I'm really interested to see the first time he has to go out there and lead the team down the field, what that's going to look like. Because we just haven't seen it from the Buckeyes this year. Now, now that's a good problem to have, right. but it's still a question mark. Right. Um, no, for for sure. I mean, Ohio State has been so dominant that these guys haven't had to play in the fourth quarter. Uh, but you have to think eventually. Um, you know, assuming you get past Penn State, 
Then you have Michigan, and then you're gearing up for the, the Big Ten Championship, college football semi, and national championship. That time's definitely going to come um, for Justin Fields for Ohio State. Just a matter of time and um, who that is right. against. Not a bad problem to have at this point no. in the season, though, to never play a close game. <laughs> and, it, and, and, to be yeah. On, yeah, and to be honest with you, uh, David, it seems like right now you guys are, are pretty healthy um, for the most part. I, I'm, I'm hearing that uh, Cooper D-end, I don't know if he's out for the season or out for the game, um, but outside of – of that, it seems like it's a pretty healthy healthy team going into Saturday's game. Yeah, yeah, for the most part, everyone's really healthy, and that's really kind of in part because a lot of these starters haven't had to play four quarters. I mean, if you're only going out there and you're playing two and a half quarters, you're taking less snaps, so you're going to be a lot more healthy. So, yeah, for the most part, Ohio State's a really healthy team, and you're also going to get a well-rested Chase Young who hasn't played in all the last two weeks, and it's going to be coming off essentially a two-week bye for him, so... He's going to be in tip-top shape and uh, ready to get back out on the field. And uh, it's going to be a, a tough day to be a Penn State tackle, I would imagine, with lining up against him. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I wouldn't be surprised if Penn State hedges him a lot with a tight end. I mean, Penn State has really good tight yeah, ends and Fryermuth and Bowers. And, I mean, I, I don't even know how many NFL offensive tackles can handle uh, Chase Young. He's yeah, a total yeah. total animal. You're, you're going to have to try to have a running back yeah. with him or double-team him or something or run away from him because – I mean, the numbers he put up in the first eight games of the season, I, I know we were probably going to get to it later, but it was real shame to see him sit out those two uh, two games because I thought he had a really, really good chance to not only go to New York City but maybe be a Heisman winner. And, I mean, I, I think those the chances of winning it are completely gone. They might let him go to New York City and sit on the stage, but I think missing those two games takes him out of the uh, the Heisman conversation there. Yeah, I would I would agree with that, especially playing Maryland and uh, Rutgers. That could pad anybody's right. stats. Um Exactly. Now, now the defense for Ohio State much improved this year. Um, obviously, yeah. the offense has always been successful there, and Ryan Day hasn't missed a beat. Uh, the defense is what's catching a lot of people's eyes in the um, the improvement there. Um, I know the secondary is very good. We all know about Chase Young. Um, it seems like the the weak spot might be the linebacker group. Um, they mentioned whether it's speed with Borland or or Warner. Um, where if you could pinpoint a, uh, a weakness on defense where exactly is it it probably it probably would be the linebackers but I don't think it's because the linebackers are bad I think it's just because the secondary and the uh, defensive line is that good and even if the linebackers aren't the best unit on the team their world's improved from where they were last season uh, if you guys remember the linebacking core for Ohio State last year was atrocious and really the defense overall I mean they gave up Last year alone, the two long, the longest rush play in Ohio State history and the longest pass play in Ohio State history. And you guys should remember the pass one because it was the 93-yarder that McSorley threw against the Buckeyes uh, last year in Happy Valley. So a historically bad Ohio State defense last season. Through 10 games this year, they've given up 98 points. Through 10 games last year, they gave up 220 points, so more than double what they've given up this season. It, it's been unbelievable to see how much they've stepped up and really improved this year. I mean, last year they were taking horrible angles and just getting beat and giving up long plays every single game. Uh, this year, a world's better, and I think the linebacking core, like I said, probably the weakest of the three of those units, but still has stepped up big time from what they were doing last year. David Kender is on with us here on the Nittany Lions Sports Report from WHIZ in Zanesville, WKYC in Cleveland. All right, so yes, you mentioned that this defense was historically bad in recent in the last year. Now it's 
on the verge of historically good. Yes, there is some attrition from player to player, people going to the NFL, new talent coming in. I see one key difference from this team last year, David, and that is Urban Meyer no longer being there and Ryan Day taking over. <laughs> what I can't do right. is, is uh, assign the actual value to that and what Ryan Day has been worse, worth. Uh, we're going to ask you that question. Yeah, and uh, I guess Ohio State fans have been really spoiled with first-year head coaches because you look back, Urban Meyer's first year, they went 12-0. and Now, they weren't eligible to play in the postseason, but they still went 12-0, and and they give, gave themselves those mythical national championship rings to wear around. But he went 12-0 and his first year, and now so far, if you combine what Ryan Day did last year as the interim head coach winning his first three, now he's won his first 10. So he started as head coach at Ohio State as 13-0. and You've been uh, kind of spoiled with what Buckeye coaches have done in their first season. When I look at Ryan Day and Urban Meyer, and I kind of compare the two and where I see the differences, Urban Meyer would go in with his game plan, and it seemed like even if that game plan wasn't working, we were still going to do it because in his mind, Ohio State had better athletes than just about anyone they went up against week in and week out. So if you just run it long enough, that game plan is going to work, something's going to break, and the Buckeyes are going to win. And 99% of the time, that happened. And they did get the victory. They got caught, though, a couple times, like when they went to Purdue and when they went to Iowa City and they got upset by those teams where the game plan just wasn't working. And Urban Meyer, I don't know if it was stubbornness or what it was, just would not go away from that. Ryan Day is almost the exact opposite, where you see they'll run something, and if it doesn't work or if he doesn't like how it is, they won't even wait till halftime to make the adjustments. They'll make the adjustments in-game during the first half. They'll correct what needs to be corrected, and they'll get it taken care of. And you've seen it through 10 games now where they're pretty much have blown everybody out. Uh, It's crazy to say, but Ryan Day, I mean, much better at making in-game adjustments than Urban Meyer. I mean, it's ridiculous to say because Urban Meyer, Hall of Famer, three national championships, and Ryan Day's just in his first year. But at least through these 10 games, he has done an unbelievable job at making changes and doing what he has to do and not being stubborn, not putting his foot down and saying, no, we're going to run it like this doing the changes that need to be made to get the victory and most days to get the blowout. This is why we have you on, David. I mean, that is the type of answer I was looking for. Take a stand, <laughs> my friend. Now that's, that's, and that is very telling everything you just said there. Yeah. Uh, and I've been very now, now impressed everyone with in Columbus Day obviously well. still, Yeah. Everyone in Columbus still loves Urban Meyer and everything he did. It was just sometimes he got an idea in his head and he wanted to run a system and he wasn't going to change it. I mean, he had, JT Barrett for all those years, and no matter what, he was going to run JT Barrett, and he was going to, even if that meant hurting the running backs, he was going to take away carries from Ezekiel Elliott, and he was going to let JT Barrett run the football because that's what his game plan was, and it didn't matter if JT Barrett couldn't run the ball or if JT Barrett was hanged up. Barrett was his guy, and he was going to run the ball, even if he had Ezekiel Elliott or Curtis Samuel back there, and it didn't really matter. Ryan Day, on the other hand, I mean, whoever's the hot hand, he's going to let it ride with them, and he's going to make his in-game changes. Um, so it's been fun to see him sort of take over. And you kind of saw a little bit of it in those three games last year when he was the interim head coach. Now, obviously, Urban Meyer was still there, and he was at practice. He was looking over his shoulder every single day, so Ryan Day couldn't truly be himself. But you saw it a little bit, and now that he can fully be the head coach he wants to be, you're seeing it on full display. So you answered that question so well. I'm going to ask another question that's just eating away, I think, at the Nittany Lion fan base. What exactly happened with the entire Chase Young situation? 
Certainly there's national media, there's articles that come out. 24-7 is one of the sites that does a good job covering it. They have bases all over the country at the different campuses. But really, I don't think anybody in Pennsylvania is is close enough to the situation to really know deep down uh, all what transpired. From your perspective, from that of your constituents, what happened with Chase Young and how did it all go down? So what it sounds like was last year when Ohio State went out to the Rose Bowl, he took a cash amount of money to pay his girlfriend's expenses to go out to the Rose Bowl and watch him play in Pasadena. So he took that money and he paid back the loan before this current season started. Now, what gets tricky is Chase Young says that the person who gave him the money was a family friend. Other people are reporting that this person was more or less uh, upstart NFL agent. So that's where it gets a little bit tricky is who actually gave him the money. The thing that I think is really sad about it is this time next year, Chase Young's going to be a multi-million dollar athlete, and no one's going to care how much money he makes at the professional level. Um, and in three years, even if he's or three, four years, whenever they make the changes, college athletes, it looks like on the horizon they're going to be able to get paid anyways. So if he had been born four years later, no one would care if he took this money to give to his girlfriend for the trip. It's just a shame it happened to him while he was in college in 2019. And those are the rules. He broke the rules. He paid his punishment. Two games, I think it's too steep of a punishment, but at the very least the two games he sat out for are Rutgers and Maryland. Ohio State did not need him at all for those games to get the win or even the blowouts. The thing that's a shame is, like you said earlier, he probably would have been able to pad his stats. He could have got four sacks in each of those games. So he's sitting at 15 right now. You could add eight more to that, maybe some forced fumbles, who knows, and that really could go along with this Heisman campaign. Uh, like I said, I think those those odds are gone by now. But it's just – it's really – kind of a shame in my mind that he had to this whole thing had to get brought up because like i said this time next year he's gonna be making millions and in a few years college athletes are going to be able to be making money off of their likeness so he broke the rules he paid his punishment um i know he's gonna be fired up to get back out on the field and uh this is gonna be his last game ever playing in the horseshoe i mean he'll be in the nfl next year so this is gonna be his final time running out of that tunnel and playing in front of the home fans so i know he's gonna want to put on a good show and he's going to want to get out there and uh, make it count one final time. I'm looking forward to seeing that. I, I agree with you first and foremost. No game suspension would have been just fine by me. I, I guess the rules are the rules, exactly like you said. But doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense, nor do I really care whether he takes a couple thousand dollars from somebody to send his girlfriend to the right. Rose Bowl. What I question is the four-game suspension brought it down to two games. What exactly was uncovered? in the process of assessing the situation that provided the NCAA the fodder they needed to reduce it from four to two? Well, I think it's, like I was saying, that it's that tricky situation of who is this guy that gave him the money, you know? It's kind of a he said, she said. He says it's a family friend. Reporters are say, Other reporters are saying it's a family friend. And then you have other groups of reporters saying, no, it's, a, it's an NFL agent who's trying to get his services. So I think maybe – in their investigation, they must have found out what they wanted to, that this was a family friend. Maybe he had some connections to being an NFL agent, but they had, it had to, that had to have been the piece right there. I don't think it was the amount of money that he took or the fact that if he did or didn't pay it back. I think all that's been settled. I think the only question, tricky thing was, who was it that gave him this money? Interesting. Very, very interesting. 
Wanted to ask now about the game on Saturday. Uh, it's been, all things considered, a quiet year from uh, a weather perspective across college football. I understand that may not be the case on Saturday. What are you expecting, and how do you think it affects the football game? Yeah, today was uh, your pretty typical Ohio November day. Uh, slate gray skies, cold, and always that threat of a little bit of snow falling. Uh, looking at the weather forecast, I think I saw it was going to be High 30s, low 40s, and that same thing. Gray skies and always the chance of a little bit of snow with rain mixed in it. Uh, now they're playing on a turf field, so it's not like we're playing in a, a mud pit here or anything like that. But it'll be interesting to see if we actually do get some precipitation and if you get some rain. I mean, Ohio State really hasn't had to play in the elements a whole lot, minus the, uh, I believe it was the Wisconsin game, where it really poured down on them. So it'll be interesting to see how they'd handle that. But, I mean, if that takes away the pass game and the run game for them has been phenomenal this year as well with J.K. Dobbins and Master Teague, who is his backup. And Master Teague would probably start for 10 of the schools in the Big Ten if he wasn't at Ohio State. So he's just kind of waiting his time for J.K. to get out of here and he can become the primary running back. But he's been unbelievable this season as well. So even if they have to keep it on the ground because of weather or the cold, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be too concerned about that. So, Tyler, unless you have something else, I think we'll we'll ask David for uh, – you got something more? I, I actually don't. I think we, we covered a lot, as always. <laughs> David gives us great insight. Um, so we need a pick, of yeah, course. Yeah, of, well, of course we need a pick, and I think I, he, we mentioned the line earlier, and he said he's going to be a little closer than that. Um, but I, I expect the Buckeyes' victory coming from David, so I, I would like to hear his pick. Yeah, I, I don't – I think 19 is ridiculous. I think it's going to be one of the first times this year Ohio State is going to have to keep the starters in in the fourth quarter. I think it's going to be a relatively close game. Um, the Ohio State, I, we didn't even dive into this, but the Ohio State receiving core has been unbelievable this year. I mean, you look at guys like uh, Benjamin Victor, who had the big touchdown last year against Penn State. You look at K.J. Hill, who is nine receptions away from breaking the school's all-time receiving record that David Boston's had for over 20 years. I mean, it's an unbelievable receiving group that because of Chase Young and Justin Fields and J.K. Dobbins, they don't get a lot of the headlines, but uh, I've loved watching them play all season long. I think they're going to have uh, big performances on Saturday. Uh, Chris Olave as well, he's been really good. And Ohio State's actually started to use the tight end this year. They actually watched some, I guess, Penn State film and realized, hey, tight ends are pretty good. Let's get them involved. And they've done a little bit of that this year. So um, all that being said, uh, my final score prediction for the game, I think the guys win, but I think Penn State covers the spread. I'm going to go final score 31-21 Ohio State in the shoe. Buckeyes move to 11-0 and then move on to the big game with uh, Michigan. Okay, fair pick, fair pick. David Kinder with us here from WKYC, WHIZ. Cleveland and Zanesville, respectively. Now, I thought we were going to let you go, and we will shortly, but I have one more prediction to ask you, and this might be even more important than the game. We have two pregame shows coming to Columbus, Ohio this weekend. Three. We have three pregame shows. Big Ten's going to be there, too. Oh, BTN tailgate? No kidding. (laughs) Well, let's talk about – Yeah, you're going to have all three of – Game day, BTN, and the big Fox Noon uh, pregame show. They're all going to be there, and they're all going to be within like 200 yards of each other. <laughs> That's unbelievable. So, yeah, what, yeah, what do the logistics look like that for each of those? But more importantly, so saw- is Urban Meyer bringing the bigger crowds to Big Noon kickoff, or does college game day continue to carry the day? 
man, that that is a great – that's way more important than the score prediction question. That is a great one. I saw a map of where they're all going to be. So college game day is going to be near St. John Arena, which is the old basketball arena, which is north of the stadium. So I imagine they'll have the backdrop facing the south so that you'll see the, uh, the old entrance to the shoe, you know, the big archway, the, the iconic archway. So I imagine right. that would be their backdrop there. Then the Fox pregame show and the Big Ten one are going to be near the south uh, east tower where the victory bell is, so close to, like, the student section there. And they're going to, both going to be set up there. And then I think for the second hour of the Fox show, they move it inside the stadium. So that uh, 11 to noon hour, they're going to actually be in the shoe doing their show. Um, that is a fantastic question, though, because college game day has such a long history of being in Columbus. I think this is their 19th time coming to Columbus, which is the most all-time. You see it every week they show. The very first time Lee Corso put on a uh, mascot head, it was Brutus Buckeyes back yes. in the 90s. Yes, so it was. College game day is so tied in with Ohio State, and people always flock to go see uh, the show there, and they do such a great job with it. But I would venture to say Urban Meyer in the Fox pregame show would outdraw them in this one specific case because hes I think he's been phenomenal on the show. He was so buttoned up when he was a head coach, and he didn't say anything – besides what was in the press notes, and he wouldn't, never really wanted to give a sound bite. But I watch him on the Fox shows, and he's like a completely different person now. He's funny, he's insightful, he's giving his true opinions on things, uh, and you factor that with the fact that he's the former Buckeye coach. I, I would assume he would have a bigger crowd around his uh, desk than they're going to have over at, uh, the four-letter network uh, a few hundred yards away. <laughs> well, I tell you what, uh, in, in the studio here, we actually have – two TVs out in the main room there, and we are going to uh, be watching both shows on Saturday morning and, and giving our grades, so to speak. I, I am excited to see both, see what they're talking about, and see which one brings the noise from Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, I think the Big Ten Network's one's going to have to pay people to show up to theirs, though, <laughs> I don't know who's going to willingly choose to ignore Lee Corso and Urban Meyer to go to the Big Ten Network one, so they might have to give out some free stuff just to get people to hang out for a little bit there. Uh, that is great. David Kender with us here answering the important questions leading up to Penn State, <laughs> Ohio State, a distinguished guest, an honorary guest of ours, that we really appreciate you making the time for us here, becoming a good friend of the show from out there in Ohio, and hopefully we can do this again next year. Yeah, what's, what's your guys' score prediction? Wow. Wow. Um, I think Penn State's going to cover as well. I think 1918, whatever you want to call it, it's very steep. Um, you know, the la just based off the last couple of years, the way, the way these games have gone, um, you know, last time Penn State won, actually, they were heavy underdogs at home. Um, in 2016, the block kick, everybody knows the story there. And then um, – you know, the last two years, Penn State, as, uh, us fans were very confident going into those games, and we lost both by, by one point in devastating fashion. But I think, you know, David, I'm right there kind of with you in that 10-point that area, but I'm going to go 14. Uh, I actually think it's going to be 35-21 Ohio State. And to be right. honest, I, I'm, I'm thinking about taking the Buckeyes um, with those points. Wow. Um, you guys are going to have the whole state of Pennsylvania turning on yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. I think so. But we, we've been good about predicting this team. We've been, I think, what, right? Nine out of ten times this year, actually, we've been predicting. At least you've been, and I, I've the been spread. right there maybe eight, eight out of ten. I'm assuming Minnesota so. messed that up for you guys. Minnesota was yes. the, yep, yep, no doubt about that one. <laughs> Did not see an outright loss, to be honest with you. Yeah. 
but uh, but we shall see. It's what makes it fun, and uh, looking forward to meaningful football in mid-November. If you're a Penn State football fan with a redshirt sophomore quarterback, not many senior and junior playmakers, I think you'll take that and, and take this experience going into next year. And who knows? Maybe something happens and Penn State can squeak one and control their own destiny. But but if not, I think the train's moving in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm just excited to see a matchup between two uh, two top-notch Big Ten programs and just happy to see good teams ranked at the top in the Big Ten. It's always good to see the, uh, the Big Ten Conference represented well. No doubt about that. All right, David, thank you so much for the time. Sorry to keep you, and we will talk soon. Enjoy the game on Saturday. Yeah, no problem, guys. Look for me in the stands. I'll be the one wearing scarlet. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. All right. Good night, All right, David. Take care, guys. Talk to you later. See you. Thank you. Bye-bye. That's David Kender from WHIZ in Zanesville, WKYC in Cleveland. Every year, I mean, every year we have him on, he's one of our best guests. Yeah, he is. And, and it's amazing, again, that you find these um, reporters from out of state. Uh, kudos to you for the time and effort that goes into that because – it really is good to have the perspective of, um, you know, uh, the media member that covers the team so closely. Um, obviously, we're not true media members of Penn State, but we, we follow the team very closely and know a lot. And these guys are right in the thick of it, whether it's Batterson with Iowa, David Kinder with Ohio State, really gives us good insight and a good and it gives Penn State fans that listen to the show a good um, synopsis of what to expect uh, going in um, to Saturday's game. Agreed. So want to get your thoughts. We're going to do it a little bit differently because David did such a nice job. It went a little bit long. We're going to skip the blitz, talk a few more minutes here about Ohio State, if you have anything. And then we have Jordan Feld in studio. We're going to have him on after a quick break to give his picks and try to chase down the two folks at 6-0. and And uh, we're going to learn about City of Philadelphia as well, a wonderful organization, putting AmeriCorps members in Philadelphia area public schools, and it's going to be a great segment. But before we get there, I want to get your thoughts on Ohio State in this game. Um, it's not a it's not a surprise to anybody that they're the more talented team. Uh, the game's being played in Columbus. Um, they just have they have talent all over the field, and I'm not saying Penn State does, but their ta- Ohio State's talent is proven right now, and it's been proven all season long. Um, but you wonder how long a team can play at such an elite level. Um, without really having any any tough competition, um, that goes along with what we were saying about the fourth quarter um, and the second half, really for Ohio State. These guys haven't played a full game, and that's because how how great they've been playing all year. Whereas Penn State, um, their starters have pretty much been playing the whole year, outside of maybe the first game against Idaho, um, the fourth quarter or so of the Buffalo game, maybe a little bit of the Maryland game, and and you get you get what I'm saying here. So. Um, It'll be interesting if the game is close like the last three years have been. If Penn State can keep it close, you might see Ohio State tighten up a little bit. I I don't know. And, um, you know, if the weather's a factor, you know, I think that that, they always say it's the great equalizer now. I don't know if I believe that or not. Um, I don't think it really helps one team more or less than another because both teams are playing at the end of the day. Right. Uh, But definitely something to watch out for if the game is close um, in the fourth quarter how Ohio State responds, especially Justin Fields, um, who he even said, David said, that hasn't been tested really at all, uh, especially in the fourth quarter. So it'll be interesting. Should be. We got two questions coming from our folks on social media. First is coming from Mike. He says, Does he, do we think that Penn State struggles in the red zone because of their lack of 
tall, large targets outside of the tight ends? It's a good question. I'll, I'll, I'll say first, I, I think so, uh, you know, especially when you're drawing up lobs to the corner for K.J. Hamler when he has a taller defensive back plus the corner of the end zone providing a second and third defender. Yeah, that, that's not ideal. I think some of it has been play call in recent weeks. I'll say this. They should be better in the red zone because of those two tight ends. Nick Bowers has shown himself to be a very adept target in the red zone, mm-hmm. and Pat Fryermuth is an all-world tight end. Yeah. Um, you know, the other thing uh, people like to talk about is the fact that they take all the snaps out of the shotgun. It kind of takes the QB sneak out of the equation, the fullback dive out of the equation. I get all that. I, I don't think that's as big of a deal because it's really still about the push of the offensive line, and it's a, if an offensive line can get that push, you're going to be able to score whether you're handed it off out of a shotgun formation or out of an eye formation. I understand that it's yeah. not the same momentum going downhill, but I think it's more offensive line, and I do think there's a point there about Dotson and K.J. Hamler being great open field targets, right. maybe not the best it, in the right. red zone. They're both under five foot eleven. Um, obviously, um, you know, we talked about earlier in the show, I'm sorry, last week, um, you know, the, the X receiver, um, the weakness uh, of Penn State's offense right now, and that's usually where your taller receiver is, and it it was shorter for a while. Um, George got some reps. Chizena got some reps. Chizena is actually number one on the depth chart at that position this week. So a former walk on, who's actually a member of the track, was a member of the track team, who was walking on for football, quit football to run track full time, is now back on on scholarship as a fifth year receiver. Former walk on has beat out two highly rated um, redshirt freshmen uh, for the starting position. Um, on Saturday, which um, is a totally different, um, totally different conversation, but um, I'm losing my train of thought. But the X is going to be there a little bit, but I would like to see them outside of the tall receiver go two backs, and they haven't. They haven't gone double backs, and right. I think that they they have that with Brown and Kane. Assuming Kane's healthy, these guys can catch the ball. I think we've seen. Uh, Journey Brown actually catched the ball pretty well out of the backfield yep. the last couple games. So something that I would like to see a little bit more since you don't have those big receivers. Next question uh, here from Kim saying, and I'm going to extend this to Noah as well, but is K.J. Hamler expected to be on the field on Saturday? I'm going to, again, extend that to Noah Kane. Um, it's it's more of the same from James Franklin. He said, hey, we, we, you know, we'd like to have him back. We, we think we may have him back. Um, but did not give any specifics. Last time we heard that was Noah Kane. A little bit of a different injury. The hope is to have them both on the field, and if they're ready to play, I think they'll play in any way, shape, or form. If they can get out there at 80%, I would expect to see them both. He said about Noah Kane, every week we don't have to use, and that's a good thing, and every week we go on, he's getting healthier and healthier. Yeah, I think um, in terms of Hamler, they're not going to announce it either way if he is playing or not. Um, I expect him to play. I'm not sure. Was it Were they evaluating for for a concussion, um, obviously got hurt on the one kick return, kind of did a flip, landed on his head, neck. Yeah, a we're not. Awkward. We're not going to hear that. Not yet, yeah, but it, it's just. Well, it. I do know that after the game, he was seen and heard in the um, the tunnel there where the team exits with a megaphone yelling to the guys right. on the team. So, yeah. in my opinion, you know, if it's a serious or serious or not serious, every concussion, in my opinion, it's serious. I don't think that he'd be the training staff would you know allow that kind of thing to be out there with a the megaphone, loud noise, and all yep. that stuff. Um, 
but I would expect him to play. Um, if Penn State's going to have any shot that we talked about earlier, they're going to need him. He is the best playmaker on the team. He is one of the best playmakers in the Big Ten and in the country. So any chance for Penn State, they're going to need Hamler. You wonder, too, if it was precautionary a little bit on Saturday. Right. So um should be interesting. I fully expect Kane, though, to be back. Um, made a social media post about finally getting back out there, something along those lines. Yep. So um, both, both would be huge helps for Penn State. We will take a break, come back on the other side. We'll have Jordan Feld in studio representing City Year Philadelphia as a member of the associate board and the former associate board chair. So it will be great to have him on. We'll tell his story and put him right into the hopper, Tyler, get him into his picks and see if he can match two six and O's. So looking forward to that. We'll be back on the other side. You're watching the Nittany Lions Sports Report. Dunphy Ford is Mayfair's neighborhood Ford store. Nobody knows your neighborhood like Dunphy Ford. Nearly 40 years. Right here on Frankfurt Avenue. Generation after generation, our neighbors continue to be our customers. We have access to the cars and trucks you want with financing you need. Dumpy Ford is Northeast Philly's first choice for America's number one brand. 7700 Frankfurt Avenue in Mayfair. Online at www.dumpyford.com. Come experience the Dumpy difference. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back, everybody, inside the Nittany Lions Sports Report. Bob Long, Tyler Gellhouse, and now it's our guest picker, the man of the hour, Jordan Feld from the Associate Board of City Year Philadelphia, former board chair. Thanks so much for coming on, my friend. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. I really appreciate you guys having me in tonight. Yeah, well, we want to tell the story about City Year, and I've been very, very privileged to serve on the board with you for as long as, uh, as I have. It's been about four years now, and he hasn't kicked me off which is great, but uh, all kidding aside, it's a wonderful organization, and Jordan's going to tell us a lot more about it, but you know, it, we, we do the best we can to put um, resources into the hands of Philadelphia area school districts and the kids within those schools, a lot of underprivileged kids through an AmeriCorps program, and I'll let you describe that in a little bit more detail. Yeah, absolutely, and I, as Bob mentioned, I've been lucky to work with him um, for the, I think we actually joined the board around the same time. So mm -hmm. I've, I've been lucky to work with you for four or five years now. Um, so like Bob mentioned, City Year is an AmeriCorps partner organization. Um, and the long and short of what we do is we take AmeriCorps volunteers and we put them in the most at-need schools in Philadelphia and some of the highest poverty neighborhoods. Um, and then once they're there, they act as mentors and tutors um, to try and get those kids that we identify as at-risk to graduation on time with the rest of their peers. Uh, so there's a few ways that they go about doing that. Our AmeriCorps members are in the school first thing in the morning. As the students are arriving, they're welcoming them. They do a greeting. They get everybody excited about the day. Um, then they're actually in the classroom. They're working with teachers. They're providing support to the students that need it. Um, each core member gets a focus list of about eight to ten students. That is their responsibility to try and work with them on maybe it's reading, maybe it's math, maybe it's language skills. Uh, to try and get those up to grade level because there's – I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, but there are a few different metrics that we look at, and it's attendance, behavior, and coursework specifically in language arts, English, and mathematics. And that's how we identify which students need that extra attention. Very interesting. Yes, indeed. And so, Jordan, from a perspective of your role – with the associate board, how did you how did you first get involved? But tell me a little bit about being board chair and what we as a board try to do. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, a friend of mine from LaSalle University, Jason Bodman, was actually on staff at City Year when I first got involved. Jason was the one that really 
brought me into the fold, told me about what City Year did, got me excited about the mission. Um, and he at the time was the staff member that was primarily responsible for the associate board. And he thought that it would be a good fit for me, having worked with me at LaSalle in the past. Uh, and he brought me in, got me excited about it. In my second year, I became the board chair. Um, that's just a little bit more of an administrative role, trying to set the direction of the board, the strategic uh, uh, initiatives that we go into, um, helping take point on some of our bigger events that we do, like our summer soiree event, which is a fantastic event where we have a live band, appetizers, hors d'oeuvres, all that great stuff. There's a bar, so everybody's happy because there's a bar. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that's our biggest fundraiser of the year. Uh, and this year we're going to be doing it at Independent Seaport Museum. So that should be a, a really good time. Should be a great time. How many people, um, volunteers like you guys, um, do you guys have total? So our board right now is about 25, 25. somewhere between that 25 and 30 number. Um, as far as like on the ground volunteers in schools, right now we work in 19 schools across Philadelphia and have 215 core members. Okay. So it's, it's a pretty wide ranging impact that they end up making. Um, And it's great because there's a lot of research out there that says, so let's say we have 10 team members in a school. Each of them works with 10 different students. That's 100 students in a school of what might be 800 kids. But there's hard data that shows that their impact goes beyond that group of 100 kids. So schools that have an AmeriCorps team in there are eight or excuse me, two to three times more likely to improve their grade level scores in math and reading across the entire school, not just those focused students. So the tide rises all boats. Exactly. So for folks that are hearing this right now and naturally thinking this is a great organization, how can I get involved or how can I support? You mentioned Summer Soiree and some of the other events that we as the board put on. There's also a lot more beyond those as well. I'll let you touch on both of those things. There is. So our, our next event is actually a service day, which will take place on Martin Luther King Day. Um, Service days, in my opinion, are the best opportunity to get plugged into what City Year actually does. What we do is we go into one of the schools that a team works in, and we literally beautify the space. So we're going to paint murals on the walls. We're going to put up inspirational quotes around the library, maybe SAT words. We're going to paint sports logos in the gym, um, something that can connect with the students. And again, beautify that the space that they're working in so that they know that people care about the environment that they're learning in. Uh, but it also gives you an opportunity to spend time with core members, spend time with students, and actually like see them in action and interacting with each other. And it really gives you a great feel for the mission and, and the work that's being done. If it's something you want to get involved in, cityyear.org is the easiest way and the easiest thing to remember. It's just C-I-T-Y-Y-E-A-R.org. Um, and then they're also on all the socials. They're on Instagram. They're on Twitter. They're on Facebook, all that great stuff. So it's easy to find us there as well. City Year as well goes well beyond. We're talking a lot about Philadelphia because it's the Philadelphia, for lack of a better word, chapter uh, of City Year. But City Year is a national and and perhaps even international organization. It is a national organization. We're in 29 cities across the United States. There are also a number of international locations, including South uh, South Africa. Um, I believe there's a U.K. location. I don't know all of them off the top of my head, but it is a, a rather large organization at this point. Once again, Jordan Feld is here with us, City Year Philadelphia, the former associate board chair, and uh, you stepped down this year after a it was a well, three year run, well earned run. Yes, <laughs> I'm 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 happy to be handing the reins over to Damon this year and, and letting him take it and uh, 
in a new strategic direction, which I think is good for us. I think it's it's time for fresh blood and, and a fresh perspective. Sure. Well, it's great to still have you on the board. I thought your three years were excellent and the way Damon has started things. I think things are going a very good direction. So for someone that's hearing this for the first time, and I know you said how you can get involved, servicedayscityyear.org, what would be one resounding message that you'd want them to take away from this discussion here tonight? So I think at the end of the day, City Year is really founded on the idea that every child has the ability to succeed. So the goal that we ha- should have, in, our, my, in my opinion, responsibility as a society, is to then provide every student with the resources they need to be successful. So City Year is a way to ensure that a child's opportunity and the ceiling for the success that they can have is not dictated by the zip code that they're born into. This is a way for us to close the education gap and get that equality that all of these kids deserve. Well, that's a great message to take away. It's a wonderful organization. I can certainly vouch for it. It's something I care a lot about and I carry with me in my day-to-day. And I'm happy to take the message of City Year and produce it on this medium that we also care so much about, uh, the Nittany Lions Sports Report here on Bob Long Sports. A lot of synergy here. Great to have Jordan with us. And uh, keep it in mind, folks, as you guys are out there, the City Year logo, it, it's out there. And, uh, and we're spreading the message as far and wide as we can here throughout Philadelphia. Look for the red jackets. That's us. The red jackets and the tan pants. That's how you know it's a City Year. <laughs> That's Almost right. like State Farm. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, by the way, let's see if we have Jake from State Farm in our picks here tonight. I don't know if we do. Georgia. We do not. Yeah, we I had think, them last week. I think this is the SEC's uh, bye week, it essentially. They, they play like the weaker teams like the second to wit, uh, last week of the season. Yes, like, they do. Alabama has Western Carolina, I think. Um, yep. Yeah, the SEC always they start their conference play a little earlier, and then they get to the end of the season and they throw a cupcake in there. Uh, second to wet, second to last week of the season before right. uh, rival rivalry week, which makes it a very interesting week for picks. At which point it is time to get into it. Jordan, as the guest, you will go first for all of these picks. I hear I have quite the tall order in front of me, as as my predecessors are six and zero. Oh. Yes, which, yes, um, two six and O's, and um, and to get to. Championship weekend, championship week next week. You got to go six and zero. Oh, so, okay. but hey, but most people don't. I think. Um, what is this? I our eleventh? Is this our eleventh week? Yeah. So only two of eleven, uh, two of ten so far. So, um, which we'll is see. actually quite high. It actually, yeah, it's not bad. Actually. <laughs> so let's let's see what you're made of. Um, we're gonna go head to head for for five picks, and then follow it up by uh, the Penn State spread, which we will get to. And Bob and I already already gave our picks on that, but we will again. Um, but we will start with Texas at Baylor. So, if I recall, last week Baylor blew a 28-3 to lead. Painful loss. And there is another famous team, a famous instance of a team blowing a 28-3 to lead. And I think we've seen what happened to the organization that blew that <laughs> The Atlanta lead. Falcons. The Atlanta Falcons have not looked like a professional football team since that happened. In, only time this year was when they played the Eagles. Though. That's true. Well, and, and the Saints. That's true. And the Saints. But, but we, made, I, yeah. we made a lot of not good teams look right. like professional football That's teams. That's very true as well. This year. So <laughs> I, I don't have a lot of confidence in Baylor being able to bounce back from that loss. And I think there's a little bit of a, a little brother thing going on with Texas coming to town. I got to pick Texas. Interesting. I Boy, I tell you what, you sized that up well. You let into it. 
research. This was good. I like it. That's a good pick. I'm going to I'm going to at least sound like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> can't wait to see what you come with on the the next few. I'm going to stick with Baylor. I think it is a team playing pretty well. Uh I honestly think that Oklahoma game was one of the better games they've played all year. I mean, I have lost my shirt on Baylor all the games that we've picked, which was like four leading into this Oklahoma game. Finally, I took Oklahoma, and Oklahoma did win. I'm going to pick Baylor for the first time we've had him in our picks this year, and I think the Bears win this one. Texas is also coming off of a tough loss at Iowa State. Yep. Um, it came down to the wire there. It was a close game. This actually is a pretty pretty tough one to call. Baylor is favored um, only by five and a half. They're the home team. That, that loss, so that does kill a team. I mean – they literally would have, I mean, twenty-eight to three had the game in their possession. I can't believe Oklahoma came back. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm in the same boat. I I'm in the same boat as Jordan. I'm going Texas. Um, I just think you know we talk about the emotions of college football and these kids. That is that is tough to come back from. Um, you know, you're looking at undefeated. Uh, definitely going to the Big Twelve championship game. They still might do that. Um, but they had everything in front of them and they blew it. So yeah. I'm going Texas. Uh, like Jordan, and um, and we'll see. I, me too, Bob. I've lost a lot on Baylor this year on the show, So, yeah. um, but I'm riding with the horns this week. Um, next, we're going to go to the AAC, uh, where we have Navy and SMU. Yeah. I think anytime you have the opportunity to bet on a quarterback that almost never throws the ball and leads his team in rushing, you have to do it. So I'm, I'm Navy all the way on this game. <laughs> I'm going to go SMU. If I remember correctly, they are a dog, a road dog here. In this. Three and a half, yes. Um, okay. I'm still going to take SMU because, well, the exact opposite reason <laughs> of you. Um, I, I think Navy succeeds against a certain class of team, a team that doesn't have a ton of defensive speed. Now, you could say that you need a team with a ton of defensive discipline. Maybe SMU isn't quite that. But uh, I think the Mustangs find a way to win this one. Navy was absolutely destroyed and embarrassed at Notre Dame last weekend. I think that hangover carries over, and SMU wins this one. I'm going to go Navy. Um, I'm feeling patriotic, uh, so I'm going to go <laughs> Navy, and I love, I love their offense. I, I, I love the Army-Navy game. And I know that's still a few weeks away, but I, I love watching those offenses play. I love the I love triple the Army option. Navy I, game. So I'm love, taking Navy I over love the small linemen. They <laughs> run the ball. I, what, they're going to control the clock. I think they're going to win. All right. All right. We're two separate uh, two separate picks thus far. Well, I'm Tyler. also two games behind you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I'm catching some Exactly. <laughs> Maybe we're tied really after those This two. week and next week left, so i got to make up for it. Um, UCF and Tulane. Another AAC game, correct, Bob? I think Tulane yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, <laughs> sure. You picked you picked the games this week. So. That's right. Uh, so I, I I like UCF in this game. I think they're they're going to get right again. They're going to get back to their form from the national championship season two years ago in 2017. <laughs> the they they got that banner hanging. Uh, I like UCF in this game. I love this Tulane team. Um, I, I'm thinking really hard about this. So I'm going to do it. Tulane. I like Tulane with the upset at home. That's a difficult football team. That's an Auburn transfer playing quarterback down there. And uh, Who's your quarterback? Uh, the little lefty. Uh, the little lefty. Blanking on his I'm name. I'm going to pull his name up yeah. right now. But as you do that, little Tulane, lefty, Mc- outright winner. McMillan? At home, yes. McMillan, That's huh? it. So give me Tulane in the upset. 
Tulane in the upset. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Um, let me see here. Do they play in the um, Superdome? Is it where they play their home games? Do you know? I they, don't. They might have their own stadium. I'm not think sure. So, but again, um, I'm going UCF. No, McMillan. That's that's probably what I got. <laughs> I'm that's going. I'm going UCF close. Um, even if I were picking before Bob and not trying to catch up to him, I would still take UCF. Um, just because. Tulane's having their probably one of their best seasons in recent memory, yeah. and UCF kind of has like been there, done that a little bit. So I think that comes into play here this week. Sure. Um, next, we're going to go to the ACC, and we have Pitt taking on Virginia Tech. Yeah, I I like Pitt in this game. I think Pitt's got uh, a pretty stout run defense that they're going to run out there and hopefully be able to stop the run. Um, and they're going to, and if I'm not mistaken, they're playing a, a redshirt sophomore QB. Um, they're going to try and make the young guy beat him with his arm. I like Pitt here as well. Now, I'm going to say, certainly, Virginia Tech, with the momentum, should come in and win this football game. They've been playing much better football, and Justin Fuente's done a, a better job. No doubt about it. They were running him out of town. All that said, the ACC Coastal is on the line, and I think that Pitt might find a way back to the ACC <laughs> oh championship God. game. And earn the right to get Hold absolutely on. destroyed by a Clemson team that's playing as well as anybody in the country. Pitt is Pitt, my pick. Pitt, Pitt, Let me see here. I'm actually interested in the state. Wow. Hey, you're not kidding. This is a huge game. <laughs> um, yeah, well, Why the ACC we Coastal, though, is so, like, the ACC in total is just so bad. But Virginia Tech actually is ranked now. They're the only other ranked team outside of Clemson in the ACC. Um, the game is at Virginia Tech. I'm going to take Virginia Tech. They are riding the hot hand right now. We are going to um, even that, Notre, that Notre Dame week. game, really, Bob. I mean, that Notre Dame game almost, as we know, could have easily gone to Virginia Tech. Yes, it um, could have. They're really hot right now. Looking back at them, so I'm going to take um, I'm going to take the Hokies here to beat um, the Panthers in a big. ACC Coastal matchup. I tell you what, something is going to happen in our race this week. <laughs> and what has to? It's either over. Or I'm taking first place. That's right. Um, you guys are going to split. Three three. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and the final head-to-head matchup. We go to the Big Ten. Um, underachieving Nebraska uh, takes on um, not so good as of late, but started pretty well. Maryland. Yeah, I have no strong feelings about this game, other than it's two very not good teams getting together and trying to see what happens. Um, I guess at the end of the day, I'll go Maryland because I like crab cakes. So that, that's my analysis. More than of corn, this game. you like crab cakes. Ah, more than exactly. Corn. You took it from me. I like corn. Give me the Nebraska Corn Huskers to win this one. I just think they're a better football team. And uh, Scott Frost, you know, he's got a ways to go there. There's been some infighting, and uh, Frost has not exactly endeared himself to the media out there, but. Maryland is a bad football team. Crab cakes and football. Crab, crab, <laughs> crab cakes. cakes and football and, and, and losses. Um, I'm going to go uh, Nebraska as well. Um, they do have more talent. Uh, Martinez, quarterback. Um, Maryland's trotted out like three different quarterbacks this year and pretty much every game it seems like. Uh, they just, like I said, they started off 2-0, and lost to Temple. Killed by Penn State and have won one game since their two and zero start. So yeah, uh, you know Nebraska. A lot of people thought we're going to come out of the West this year in the Big Ten. Uh, haven't lived up to the hype whatsoever. Um, I'm not sure when they'll be back in that um, you know 
ready to take that next leap into the Big Ten West. But, um, yeah, I'm going Nebraska um, based off talent itself. And then finally, um, Jordan, we already discussed. David Kinder asked us earlier what we thought about the game. We'll go through it again. But Penn State, we're going to say they're minus 18 right now. Well, actually, plus 18, I should say. Ohio State is minus 18. So do you think Penn State will cover that? Or will Ohio State and um, and uh, your score prediction based off of that? Yeah, I think that ultimately, obviously, like you guys mentioned earlier, I did catch some of it, that you know, talent is going to win out here, and Ohio State is the more talented program. Um, I just think 18 is a lot. I think 18 is too much. I like Penn State to cover that. Um, thinking score prediction, let's call it like 45-30, maybe a 15-point yeah. game. High scoring game. Yeah. I think I think it's going to be high scoring. I just I think 18's a lot. I think I'm going to stick with what I said with David. Um, <laughs> no turning back. Well, I could turn back if I chose to, but I, I don't think I'm going to. And and listen, you know, 18 could be covered with um, a 14 point lead for Ohio State and Penn State. You know, takes a shot on, on fourth down midway through the fourth quarter, and Ohio State runs it in, or, or something to that effect. Could be a late touchdown to to make it a twenty-one point victory or more for Ohio State. But I am looking somewhere in the area of forty-five to twenty-one or twenty-four, something like that. That that's my thought on the score. Uh, I think Penn State. Frankly, I think Ohio State jumps out to about a 14-point lead and it kind of stays at bay there for a little while. That's, this is a really good football team. Ohio State is really, really good. And I would love to be wrong and, and see that they just beat up on a bunch of not-so-good teams and Penn State brings out their best performance of the year. This is not an indictment on Penn State. This is a crowning of Ohio State the way I see it. And I think this Buckeyes team is going to roll into the Big Ten championship game undefeated. Yeah, I gave my score of 35-21 earlier, which means uh, Penn State will be covering. Um, I think it's important for the listeners what you just said, that it's it's crowning of Ohio State, not an indictment on Penn State. There's maybe one, two, three teams in the country that I believe could beat Ohio State, um, that being LSU, Clemson, and potentially Alabama. They're the only teams that I think could beat Ohio State um, keyword is could, and I don't know about Alabama without Tua. Um, so um, this is a top team, obviously in the country. Penn State appeared to be that midseason; have kind of slowed down a little bit. Young team, um, probably just not there yet. Um, but you know, the it could be a great surprise too if it's a close game and if somehow they pulled pulled off a minor miracle. Um, you know, because some sometimes kind of like three years ago now, I guess and. 2016 when Penn State won that kind of turned over the program they went on to win the Big Ten that year unexpectedly and I think it was so amazing because of how unexpected the game was the outcome and then the season outcome on top of that so um yeah I mean just based off the history the last couple years I don't 18 big number um I just see this game being closer than that maybe not as close as the last three years but uh, Penn State plays them tough every year under James Franklin. Yeah, it should be very, very interesting. And I don't know if I want to say I'll do something on next week's show if Penn State wins the game outright since I, I didn't Oh, pick. boy. 
<laughs> Do I? Am I volunteering that? It sounds it. Yeah, I'll just—I'll admit I'm wrong. I, I will absolutely admit I'm wrong. Get and... a city year tattoo. That's <laughs> yeah. the move. On, on his <laughs> face. Yeah, there you go. On my face. Wow, it's a walking billboard. We won't need Jordan in next there you time. Go. Everybody will know by then. Uh, but Jordan was our guest here of City Year Philadelphia, the prior associate board chair and a guy who has dedicated a lot of his time and resources to this great organization. We appreciate him coming on and being a mouthpiece for it here tonight. Keep up the great work, and we'll be working together, my friend. Absolutely. Thank you for having me and everything you do for City Year and for helping us get the word out here tonight. That's our pleasure. Tyler, thank you for being here as hey, always. Always a pleasure. Um, love hearing the stories. Um, every week the guest picker has a different background story, whether it's their full-time job, in this case um, volunteer work, and um, really cool to hear the people Bob brings in, our special guests, and, and um, their picks is just a part of it, but it's really just you know promoting their hobbies, their volunteer work, or what they're passionate about. So another good pick. Enjoyed hearing your story, Jordan. Best of luck in the future with your endeavors um, with City Year and obviously um, your career as well. Thank you very much. Yeah, and I think what that says more than anything, there's a lot of fun entertaining and interesting people around the city of philadelphia and you have a lot of friends you're very popular <laughs> well thank you tyler i appreciate it i consider both of you great friends as well we'll do this again next week guys uh, thanks for being here this is the nittany lion sports report live on bob long sports enjoy the football prove me wrong penn state and we'll talk to everybody next tuesday night take care